Hello and welcome to episode four of the Rain City Bunker podcast. I am Greg Moon, co-hosting here with Andy Brown, and we are happy to be back. We were gone for about a month, busy doing stuff in our lives. I was in Houston for my cousin's wedding, which was a lot of fun. And anyhow, we got it all together, and we are here on Memorial Day weekend, and we are in the bunker. We, I, I thought I wanted to be outside, but that probably wouldn't worked out real well. So we are in the bunker. And uh, the first story we're going to talk uh, about. We have to stay away from all the cheering fans, like everybody who would be uh, screaming our names and everything. It's just it's too hard yeah, out in public. Word does get out when we're about to do a podcast, and uh, there's usually a little crowd in front of the house when, when we get here. But uh, Andy's kidding if that is not totally self-evident. Okay, uh, Andy did most of the work on this podcast, so thank Andy for doing all the footwork. I've been lazy or absent or something. And the first thing we're going to talk about is a quick follow-up to the uh, Montauk Monster conspiracy. Evidently, another Montauk Monster has been found. Yep. How'd you find this one, Andy? Uh, well, you know, it just it just came up in the news. I, th- I think maybe somebody who uh, listened to the show, maybe my buddy Jason might have pointed it out that it was back. I think I just ran across it, though, and I, I but I know he called me almost immediately uh, after I found out about it and... and uh, warned me that uh, another monster had washed up on shore. Um, so it's almost about a year after, I think it was last July, that the last monster Well, the first up. one. No, I mean, I'm sorry, the, fir- <laughs> the first one. And this one uh, looks like it showed up, was it this month? Yeah, May 12th or so, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a similar story. Uh, somebody was just strolling on the beach... And they saw this this creature or the remains of some creature, and they took pictures very much like the first one. Um, let me see. I, there's there's this article that we've printed out from WPIX, which is a TV station yeah. out in Montauk, and I won't read it verbatim, but like the quaint village hasn't changed much over the years, but there's something different in the air. Montauk is back on the radar of conspiracy theorists ever since something strange washed up on the shore last summer, dubbed the Montauk Monster. Many people believe it was just a hoax made of plaster or a dead animal. And now the the current theory is what everybody's talking about. Is it some sort of raccoon that has been skinned or something like that? Uh, but it's, it, you know, the same sort of conspiracies are going on that they... Um, that it was a, an escaped creature from Plum Island, or it's part of the the Montauk experiments. Uh, and and the thing about, about this time. one is it's the second one, so that leads more to a conspiracy theory, I suppose. Right. They start showing up every so often, and what I think is really interesting about this one, uh, Andy and I were digging around before we started recording, and we found well, this this link we'll put on the website, but they also have a little video. Yeah, the video wasn't that good quality, really, was it, Andy? No, I couldn't really make out much. But at least you could tell there was some sort of organic creature (laughs) there (laughs) floating around. So that's kind of interesting. They have video this time. Yeah. But now the body of this one, I think, also mysteriously disappeared, didn't it? Yep. It looks like. uh, Let's see. Uh, It's it's a little confusing. I think uh, the daughter of this guy Hewitt. What's his name? Uh, Let's see. if you're scanning through it, Greg, maybe you can find yeah. that guy's name. Yeah, uh, let's see. Peter Hewitt. Uh, there are varying accounts as to what happened to it after Peter Hewitt's daughter snapped one of the now infamous photos. And this is this quote is great. 
<laughs> from this Peter Hewitt guy. One of those wise guy kid wise guy kids took it, said Hewitt. It's up behind someone's house there in the woods. So similar to the first Montauk monster, um it it disappeared. Uh or maybe he's referring to the first one. Yeah, this I think he's talking about the first one there. Yeah. Um the thing uh the, regarding this latest one, it says papers told Nikki PIX, Papers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nikki Papers told uh, PIX News the couple who found the monster wrapped it up in garbage bags and left it with and left with it never to be seen or heard from again. Yeah. So these disappearing bodies also lend itself to a conspiracy. <laughs> or a hoax. <laughs> or a hoax, yes. yes. So, well, uh, yeah, and, and so uh, we'll put the picture up on the website, but uh, it does look like there's a, you know, it's a very similar looking thing. It looks kind of decayed. Uh, but it's in a different position uh, on the sand, and it it, it, it looks slightly different. Yeah. I don't think they have a clear picture this time. They have the video, yeah, and it's it's a lot less clear than the picture we posted on our blog. Yeah. But anyway, we thought we would follow up since that <laughs> since we talked about this before. Kind of interesting. And then we're gonna morph into other creatures. This time, mosquitoes. Yes. Yeah, so this this is a story. Uh, that actually happened back in February. And I remember when I heard about this, um, it's, you know, reg it's regarding a local celebrity and uh, Bill Gates. Uh, and, you know, I, if people outside of Seattle aren't aware, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates, Melinda's his wife, Bill and Melinda Gates have the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is uh, one of the things that they're trying to do is uh, prevent the spread of malaria. Uh, mostly in Africa, I believe. And, uh, you know, they, they've dedicated a lot of money to that and a lot of effort to that. But Bill Gates added his own little interesting touch <laughs> <laughs> to this whole thing. And that's what struck me as kind of uh, funny. Uh, he was attending a thing called TED 2009. And TED is stands for the Technology, Entertainment, and Design Conference. And it was in Long Beach, California. And uh, basically what he, he came up to the stage and he, I think he had a box or something and he opened the box and then he said that he really, he had just released mosquitoes into the audience. And then he, he said, not only poor people should experience this. And he was referring <laughs> to malaria. So he was, he was alluding to the idea that these mosquitoes that he released were uh, in, uh, carrying malaria and then uh, later on, he said, no, you know, they, they weren't. And uh, but people the way the articles that I read when it happened, people kind of got a little nervous and, you know, kind of nervously laughed and everything. And then he let them know, no. And it, and it's uh, <laughs> now now you had made a good point earlier when we were talking about the Sandy. You pointed out how would the press or, who you know, society at large have reacted to that if someone other than Bill Gates had done <laughs> <laughs> kind of a crazy I think if it stunt. was you, you basically were, a weird stunt. Right, right. right. I think if it, if it was you or I, we might not be in jail, but we certainly would be facing some charges <laughs> and some investigation, or at least a very angry public. Yeah, because <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know if you remember uh, a few years ago, Greg. There was that guy who was the sculptor, and he he had what was it? It was right after Flight Eight Hundred blew up in Long Island, mm -hmm. and I think it was like the day after. Or something like that. And he, he had some art that he put out as kind of like protest art. It was like a big metal heart or something. And uh, the local police thought it was a bomb. And 
you know, uh, they sent out the bomb robot and everything. And uh, when he realized that was happening, uh, he called the police and he said, oh, look, hey, I'm the artist. That's not a bomb. It's a sculpture. But they charged him. You know, actually, now that I'm thinking back on this story, he did that. That happened before Flight 800 blew up. And then, like, it was like the next day the Flight 800 blew up uh, uh, off the coast of Long Island. And then they charged him with uh, making terrorist threats with a bomb. Oh, you're kidding. No, he that's what he was charged with. Just by displaying it. Just that by displaying it and by people... terrorist threat. Right, and by people mis, mistaking it for a bomb. He never claimed... That's, that's what I always thought was kind of interesting about that charge, is I'm like, one, he wasn't threatening. Two, it wasn't a bomb. <laughs> so, yeah. you know... Here's here's Bill Gates saying like, here's a biohazard and I've just released it into the audience. That's like a terrorist hoax almost. Yeah, it's it, it, almost. It, I mean, maybe a little. It less. really is, and uh, I think it's it's just kind of because of uh, his stature and you know. And his, he's probably considered a little centric. Yes. Yeah, I would say. I mean, that. I'm not sure if it's widely known, but um, I yeah. told you before. Yeah. But uh, I've had a few friends of friends who've known Gates or told me about him and. He's not really the a totally <laughs> average guy. I mean, he's brilliant. He's definitely brilliant, but he seems to have some social skills. But you know, doesn't things. that doesn't that lend itself? Wouldn't somebody like that be more prone to actually pull a real stunt like that? I don't know. Maybe yeah. not. Uh, but I don't know. But I would be a little bit more worried about somebody who has that much power. I mean, perhaps he could find somebody to collect mosquitoes that are infected well if i were in that audience i think i would have been wondering for a couple minutes yeah yeah (laughs) and i i guess just my my thing is is like yeah if it were if it were me or greg or or even somebody who wasn't quite as famous or or notoriously eccentric as uh bill gates (laughs) that i think they would be they'd be having a little bit of a legal hassle they might not be in jail (laughs) but i think they'd be they would you know be taken down to the police station or somebody would be talking to him i don't know yeah, uh, I remember when I heard the story. I didn't think much of it, yeah. but I did think, boy, that is an odd thing to do. Yeah. Well, what now? That's just kind of a strange behavior. Now, there's there isn't there a book that his father has written recently? Uh, yes, or, yes. And uh, I think I sent you the link. Uh, uh, I I'm interested in Gates. He's he's local here, and uh, you know, like I said, I have friends of friends who know of him or have met him or, or that sort of thing. Anyway, the uh, recent uh, story about the book in uh, the Seattle Times, and uh, <laughs> there's an interesting uh, an- anecdote by his dad, Bill Gates Sr., and uh, Bill Gates hit a real rebellious stage really young. When he hit 12, all of a sudden it sounded as though he were, it was hard to rein him in. He was an independent spirit. He was going to do what he was going to do, and he started having friction with his family because of that strong independence coming out so young, and at one point his dad became so... <laughs> annoyed or exasperated with him at the dinner table he's fighting with his mom mary gates and uh, bill gates senior took a glass of water and splashed it on his face on bill on bill on gates, bill gates face that. because he was just being you know and then difficult tell him what the response was <laughs> and bill gates says thanks for the the, ba- the shower dad i mean it's <laughs> kind of a sarcastic thing to yeah. say back but um so he's he's definitely an, inter- an interesting guy and uh yeah, that that whole story. I would have wondered. I like you said. I would have wondered. Been a little nervous for a couple minutes. I I think even after he said, "Oh, look, it's probably it's not you know malaria." I just wanted to prove a point. I'd be like, "I'm not sure. I believe that, dude." Yeah, yeah you know? and I'm not sure anyone else would go about it that way. I mean, I'm yeah. surprised one of his advisors doesn't he have an advisor said, 
You know, Bill, that may not go over real well. Uh, you know, th- well, that's a, you know that's an interesting thing. Uh, I think any time that you reach a certain level of power, whether it is as an entertainer, or a politician, or a businessman, I think one of the things you'd have to watch out for is is the people that you surround yourself with, because there's going to be the sycophants that yep. only want to advance their own, uh, you know, their own agenda and their own careers and and so forth, and. What I think the wise thing to do, but it's probably a hard thing to do, is find people who are not going to be afraid of you and are going to tell you when they think that you're wrong. Yeah, uh, I think that's one of the uh, uh, you know great leaders or or people who exercise power in a wise way. Uh, that's the sort of people that they surround themselves with. And who, I mean, geez, who knows who Bill Gates has surrounded himself yeah. with? Well, um, you know, I think he does respect his father, and his father is very active in the foundation i'm not sure if he's the ceo but he's he's very important in the foundation it, it, it almost it almost sounds like the father really kind of pushed him to start that foundation yes, isn't yes. It? and i think his wife had part of that too and i think she's another voice that he probably respects she seems to be very, very bright yeah from all accounts yeah and so maybe he just didn't run it by either of them <laughs> now do you do you know greg and we'll get off this subject in a second but do you know did, did his wife work at microsoft like was she an employee yes or? okay yes they met at microsoft okay so, uh, do, you, uh, do you want me to go on to the? Yeah, let's th- go it's a on nice, to the next somewhat related. Uh... Yeah, it's a nice segue into the next uh, subject, which uh, comes from a article that was written in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, this wasn't coast to coast or the Sun. This, we have a mainstream. Uh, <laughs> Not any of our normal news sources. <laughs> uh, and the and the uh, headline reads: uh, In attics and closets, biohackers discover their inner Frankenstein using mail order DNA. DNA and iguana heaters, hobbyists breed new life forms. Is it risky? <laughs> um, and basically, what this is about, I've read this article a couple times, so I'm just going to kind of wing it, but I'll, I might refer to it a couple times here. Um, it's basically be- people who have found ways to, uh, uh, like the title says, biohack. In other words, like do the sort of things that were only done in labs and, and, uh, biotech industries and so forth like in their apartments but literally there's a couple of people they profile in here who have things in closets and so forth like actually i'll even i'll read this first part in massachusetts a young woman makes genetically modified e coli in a closet she converted it into an into a home lab a part-time gj in, in berkeley california works in his attic to cultivate viruses ex- extracted from sewage in Seattle, a grad school dropout wants to breed algae in a personal biology, biology lab, which, by the way, I'm going to try to see if I can track down this guy, the guy in Seattle. I think he'd be really interesting to talk to. So it's kind of a new movement. It's kind of like the do-it-yourself uh, biology movement. And it's almost maybe a little bit analogous to like the early computers, because well, the very early computers, hobbyists put them together kind of like CB guys, uh, Citizen Man Radio guys. Right, right. They cobbled together, like the Altair was basically a kit. Right. So this is almost reminiscent of that. Well, and even in, in the even in the use of the word hacker, because the original kind of connotation of the word hacker meant like somebody who's kind of uh, pushing the boundaries of what the technology could do and finding new ways to use it and everything. And, and those guys, you know, we were talking about Bill Gates and, you know, guys like him and Steve Jobs and so forth. It's those guys who really took these early computers and found ways to use them in that filtered down to people like every everyday people like me and Greg and everybody out there, my mom and stuff. So, you know, and now, you know, computers are out there 
in pretty much everybody's house. Now, now, to me, I just get a different vibe from this. Computers, yeah, they play games. You know, it's more practical applications. When you're talking about, for me anyway, yeah. when you're talking about biological <laughs> well, labs, that that is just inherently a little more spooky to me. Well, it, and it is it is spooky, but uh, but I think the intent with these people that they profile is exactly the same. Like. Uh, the person uh, who's working with the modified E. coli, she's trying to find something to uh, to uh, attack cancer with. The person who's ex- extracting viruses from sewage is actually trying a new form of uh, very promising uh, uh, therapy to uh, attack uh, bacteria called uh, it's called uh, phage therapy. And I actually wanted to talk about that at some future date, which it's it's basically using like uh, these viruses that are called bacteriophages, and they they can actually uh, defeat some of that bacteria that's that we've all heard about that's become sort of uh, uh, resistant to uh, uh, a phage. Is, that's part of the human the immune system. Isn't no, that no, like a phage it refers to the virus. Oh, it's the virus. Virus. Okay. Bacteriophage okay. is a virus. Okay. Okay. Uh, so it invades the cell of the bacteria and just overloads it with right. replicate replication of itself. Right, right. And it it even seems to work. I mean, some of the articles I've read about it, like you know those those uh, uh, what what's the word I'm trying to think of the uh, the med- uh, the medicine that uh, oh uh, antibiotics antibiotics. <laughs> thank you. God, I couldn't think of it. Uh, that it you know there's all this antibi- antibiotic resistant bacteria that's you know the people who get the skin infections or the yes. surgeries and it never heals. Yes. Well, ba- basically they're finding they're doing this in Europe and they're not. It's beginning to be done in the United States that they're using this phage therapy where they're taking these viruses that are bacteriophages and they're able to eradicate the bacteria. That's and those resistant. those phages are targeted or they only work with certain uh, bacteria. Well, that- they're they they're they're viruses that attack bacteria certain bi- bacteria because we're right. we're full of bacteria right, right exactly. so yeah. you would only want it to target the uh, harmful bacteria yeah but the, you could keep it kind of localized it would be in a wound or something okay. like that all right that makes so, sense so so anyways that's what she's doing and then the guy who's in Seattle he's trying to manipulate uh, algae uh, genetically so it becomes a, a more efficient biofuel now. These are all people who are well-meaning, but let's take the other, obviously, the thing that people are concerned about is the other uh, definition of hacker, which is, you know, kind of more popular, which is, you know, you think of like the kind of 15-year-old kid who's a little bit too smart for his own good, but kind of ethic, ethically challenged, who <laughs> wants to just, you know, cause havoc and so forth, or, you know, the criminal element that wants to, uh, you know, break into uh, uh, military computers or something like that. And yes, you know, obviously, uh, you know, if someone could find a way to basically make their own bioweapon, I mean, that is the danger of this sort of thing, I, I would think. You now, know. a lot of them, what's surprising to me is it, it seems as though, you know, when you go through the show, it, they talk about the price of the components and stuff. Right. With uh, online, you can look up anything online now and some cheap parts, you can pretty much do a lot of these these uh, biological experiments, basically, what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, well, the, the woman who's who's doing the thing with the E. coli, and uh, I'm once again I'm quoting from the ar- uh, article, her name is Catherine All. She, uh, she's 23 years old, too. Jeez. Uh, but she she's designing customized E. coli in the closet of her Cambridge, Massachusetts apartment, hoping to help with cancer research. She's got a DNA thermocycler bought on eBay for $59. <laughs> 
and an incubator made by combining a styrofoam box with a heating device meant for an iguana cage. And there's there's a site that, uh, uh, you know, she said a few months ago, she talked about her hobby on a do-it-yourself bio, a website frequented by biohackers. And her work was noted in New Scientist magazine. So she, I mean, she's got some legitimate yeah. results, you know. Yeah. And, and the uh, thing is, there's no real legal governing authority at right. this point for some of these things. And I'm not sure there should be right. for some of these basic experiments. But uh, well, you, and you kind of wonder how much should government keep an eye on this sort of thing right, and how right. much is just part of our freedoms. Right. So, uh, <laughs> well, but it, it, you know, just the whole idea of it is, like I said, is a little spooky. But no, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of well-intentioned people who are bright yeah. and they are making progress and they're doing, you know, evidently valuable experimentation. Well, and much like, and this is this is my thing about it. The positive thing is that, uh, much like early computers, without the kind of the hobbyist in the garage, I think a lot of, uh, of the advances that we've made. In, in computer technology and, and the way that we all have incorporated computers into our lives comes from those hobbyists and those guys tinkering around in their garage. Yeah, both Bill Gates and uh, Apple yeah. Jobs and uh, the yeah. whole, what's, his, what's his name? Walk, Steve Wozniak. Wozniak, yeah. Uh, they were, yeah. both companies started in garages almost quite yeah. literally. At least Apple was literal and Gates and... Uh, yeah. And Steve Wozniak, if people don't know this, he actually engaged in some of that illegal hacker behavior. You know what I mean? He was a he was a phone freaker, you know, getting f- free phone calls before Apple. Like before Apple, yeah. So he was tapping into phone lines and working with switches. Well, not quite. Or... It was it was more like they they found ways to uh, to kind of trick the phones into allowing them to make free phone calls and so forth, <laughs> and and they just kind of manipulated the phone computers and all that sort of thing. Uh, so, but yes, you know, and, and the government, you know, <laughs> according to uh, this article, uh, that woman that I was just talking about, uh, uh, Miss All, uh, she said there was a, a caller from an agency, uh, and he he represented, and he said, "quote used used to thinking about rogue states and threats from that." Recalls Mrs. All, and uh, the man on the other side of the line was. Nils Gilman, a researcher for, with Monitor 360, a San Francisco company that provides, quote, geostrategic research. Uh, Miss, Mr. Gilman declined to identify his client, identify his client, saying only that it's a branch of the U.S. government involved in biosecurity. <laughs> so the government is yeah. is looking into this. Yeah, obviously. I, I haven't read the story like Andy has, but I, I found a, a paragraph I want to read. It's pretty interesting. I think it kind of talks about our idea of who should be doing this. Right. And they quote. Um, here, here's the quote, the paragraph. George Church, a professor of genetics at Harvard Medical School, said anyone using synthetic DNA should have to have a license, including g- garage biologists. But he says he's not too concerned by the current home bo- hobbyists. The younger generation needs something they feel they can do, in the same sense that my generation was inspired by NASA and home chemistry kits. So presumably this guy's at Harvard. And I think you told me Harvard Medical School is one of the better ones. Yeah, 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 yeah obviously. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, well, it's Harvard. <laughs> so this guy's probably pretty good. So, you know, he's not. it's one opinion, but presumably he knows something about it. So hopefully well, we can believe what he says here, that it's not a big deal. Well, I, I, do, think it, I do think it's at this level right now where, uh, you know, it, it's – there's not much this is my my opinion and from what i've read that there's not much danger that they could do and i also remember if you if you really look at the history of computer hacking 
there was a lot of hype and there was a lot of uh, uh, kind of hysteria about what people could accomplish with computer hack. I think still to this day there is, and and sometimes it's overblown. Yeah, well, recently, um, slightly tangent, but there was a story how uh, they thought that our electrical grid was in danger from foreign hackers right, bringing right. down the whole electrical grid. Yeah. grid. And I would like to think that someone's already thought about this to some extent, yeah. and we're yeah. not in well, immediate, immediate danger. Well, Perhaps there is some danger, but, you know, there's people making a lot of money who are hired just yeah. to go in and secure sites and, yeah. and you know, software and that's true. networks. The, but, you know, it, it also we could also encounter something that's similar to one of the first uh, computer worms that actually did shut down some power grids and so forth was created by this uh, kid who was a student, and his name was Robert T. Morris, uh, and it was called the RTM Worm. And he never intended – it was just something he was experimenting around with, and he – his intention was to uh, just release it on a few isolated computers within the school campus, <laughs> and it kind of took on a life of its own. You know, you just made me think of something that makes me very uncomfortable with, with the biological stuff. And maybe not so much this, but the real genetic engineering that gets introduced in the environment. Right. And it's because I am a software developer, <laughs> and I know even the simplest software can have very unexpected behavior. And, you know... I guess in a certain sense, you could look at the whole world as a huge software package, you know, right. reminiscent of the Matrix, maybe. But when you throw something in that is man-made and you don't know, you may know how it reacts with itself, like luminescent lima beans. They right, glow right. in the dark. But how do we know how that affects things, the insects that eat it, the birds that eat the insect? You know, it goes up the food chain. Or I mean, I yeah. think there's innumerable ways that... Um, you know, something like that could go wrong. Yeah. And yeah. I'm typically not a scaredy cat and that sort of thing, but just for some reason, genetic, it's so fundamental. It's so basic yeah. to to life that I think you can throw a weird bug out there and cause not, not a bacteria bug, but just a, a malformed piece of DNA or something. I just think it could have replica, you know, replications. No, I think that's a, I think that's an excellent, road. that's an excellent point. And, I think sometimes the mistake we make is that we think of genetics like computer programming. And I, I think it's a little bit more uh, uh, wild and wooly than that. But, yeah. you know, one of our one of our future, hopefully our future guests is actually going to be a geneticist. And we'll we'll ask her about some of these things. I'll bring I'll bring the subject yeah. up again. Yeah. And I'm, I'm talking just as not anyone who's read many right. books about genetics, but just kind of yeah. as a software guy, knowing yeah. how complicated even software packages of a thousand lines can get i mean you can get unexpected cases that just cause things to blow up or go wrong and to me it's just something you want to be very careful with and usually you know you know me andy i'm not afraid of things typically you know but in this case i am very nervous about (laughs) genetic engineering well it it also it also got me you know i was talking to people about this stuff and there's this book that kept coming up a, a novel that people kept recommending to me and it's called uh, The White Plague, and it's by Frank Herbert of Dune fame, and I, he wrote it back in 1982. And the premise is, is that there's this guy who's a geneticist, and he's in Ireland. He's an American geneticist in Ireland uh, doing some uh, research there. And while he's there, his wife and children are killed by an IRA bomber, or bomb, I should say. And so he... he 
kid, he's incredibly grief stricken, but he, he also kind of sets on this path of revenge and he creates this, uh, uh, it's really it, it's really prescient and actually very much reminds me I'm in the middle of reading it so I'm not done yet but it really reminds me of this article because he kind of cashes out all of his is you know his real estate holdings and all of his money and investments and everything and then he surreptitiously either puts together this his equipment or you know buys it on the cheap or finds places that have stuff that's surplus and everything and the really kind of the part that I didn't know about the book, one person told me about it right before I got it. And then as I was reading, it turned out to be true. He just, he ends up in a, the character ends up in the Ballard uh, neighborhood of Seattle, which I'm very familiar with. I, you know, know people that have lived there and so forth. And, and it's just kind of weird to have this fictional character, uh, you know, he's like almost kind of going to destroy the world, uh, setting up in a neighborhood that you're familiar with. But, but at any rate, he just, he, he creates this, uh, virus that, uh, basically kills off the female population. And is I, and he, he, he sets it loose in Ireland and England and in Libya. The reason Libya is because they trained the, uh, the IRA terrorists there. And he figures, well, I'm going to make them all feel the pain of the loss of their women, just like I, I felt the pain of the loss of this, this woman that I loved. But, uh, it's really interesting to, you know, it, it's something written back in 1982 kind of really coincides with this. And what if it, what struck me about this article, Greg, is that, you know, people are acquiring this equipment very cheaply, yeah. like a $59 piece of, what did they call it? A, a bio, uh, what was it called again? The bio. Well, there was an iguana heater. Yeah. An iguana heater and so <laughs> forth. And I mean, so it kind of renders that story kind of believable. It's, you know, yeah. if somebody with oh, the yeah. real with the know how how to yeah. do this stuff, if they wanted to do it in a basement, maybe they could. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but something to kind of keep an eye on. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, like so many things nowadays, it's gonna be a, uh, the government's gonna, uh, you know, maybe end up regulating this stuff. And, yeah. You know. Um, you know, I don't have any. I don't have any problem with you know, uh, like a licensing sort of thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I'm not sure you want just any because it's it's really, and as Andy knows, I'm semi-libertarian, you know. But there does you have to protect society, so you can't let everyone go out there and make <laughs> smallpox. <laughs> you know, we gotta keep an eye on sort of you know certain things. Uh, hey, Greg, I reserve the right to keep and bear viruses. Smallpox. <laughs> smallpox. <laughs> but so. no, I mean, and that's that's one of the difficulties of modern life. Technology yeah. is progressing so fast, and you know, a lot of science fiction has dealt with this. You know. T- technology outpacing the moral structure that contain the technology, yeah. you know, and, you know, let's just hope for the best, <laughs> but work for the best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you want to, uh, do you want to, yeah, yeah. And I'm real excited about this next thing because, um, I'm, I've been a science fiction fan and a big part of science fiction is extraterrestrial life. And, um, uh, Andy did his homework this time for us. Thanks Andy. And, uh, there's an article in Australian, about uh, they may have found, I mean, it's maybe, but uh, a signal. And the Australians are looking for the optical ranges instead of the radio frequency, yeah, like most of those SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Projects. And they found an optical signal, I think. Oh, it was one signal, though, yeah. one. And they think it could have been from uh, intelligent life. Yeah. The, the idea is that, uh, you know, f- for most of the history of SETI or, or the attempts by uh, – people to search for extraterrestrial intelligence uh has focused on on radio 
And uh, I remember one thing that this article said is they've they've kind of discovered that uh, radio waves are really dissipate a lot more than they believed originally. So it might not be the way that an advanced civilization would be kind of saying like, "Hello, we're here." And uh, I th- I want to say it was Arthur C. Clarke. Is that it says it somewhere in the uh, I believe the article kind of said, you know, if I were an advanced society, I don't know if I'd be using something as primitive as radio. I think I would be communicating via laser or something. So that's that's really what they're looking for is kind of cohesive uh, uh, light uh, messages that basically have a pattern to them that uh, kind of demonstrate some sort of artificial influence on their pattern. But one of, one of the criterions for finding what they believe to be an intelligent signal is repeatability. Right. And unfortunately, well, I think unfortunately, yeah. maybe some people think fortunately, that they've only found one blip of this, yeah. what they believe to be a laser signal. But it does really stick out, and they also say it could be hardware malfunction. Right. But it, to me it's exciting because, and especially kind of along the same lines, what's really exciting is these telescopes are now able to discern individual planets on uh, stars, n- nearby stars. And uh, they're even coming close to finding... They're 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 getting to the point where they can determine what's in the atmosphere of these planets and the size of the planets and you know I think it would be awesome <laughs> to someday have NASA or whoever looking announce we found a planet about the size of Earth with about the same atmosphere around a star that could sustain life to me that would be very exciting a little spooky I suppose for some people but to me that would just be just really amazing and. I'm probably coming at this as a longtime science fiction fan. You know, when you grow up with that, you just think, oh, yeah, there could be life out there. That's no big deal. <laughs> but I suppose if it really happened, you might ask some big questions and be a little nervous possibly. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's it, to me, it's real exciting. And um, it's kind of neat that we are investing in the search for extraterrestrial life, even though it hasn't really paid off a lot yet. But yeah. it's neat. you got to yeah. search. It's probably take, you know, well, decades to find something. Well, and we and we should repeat that the uh, it's the Australian version of SETI that is that is looking for the optical uh, signals, it, and I believe all like the U.S. version is still looking. Yeah, for mostly radio, radio yeah, telescopes. Radio telescopes. And Paul Allen, we're talking so much about the Microsoft folks, but Paul <laughs> Allen is a big uh, funder of uh, the, I think the the U.S. SETI. That's version. right. That's right. So he's interested, and he's a big sci-fi fan too. That probably. I think he's actually just looking for a way to phone home. <laughs> So, uh, wow! Do you want to get into some of the local? We have we've had a couple okay. local weird things, and uh, we've had a. Uh, <laughs> I should just mention that uh, you know I think uh, a lot of people have different sort of animals that maybe they're afraid of. You know, I think people are afraid of sharks and don't like to go swimming in the ocean. And a lot of people don't like spiders. Spiders. I just my particular thing is bears. They're I I just oh man I just. They're, they're killing too- machines. <laughs> well, they're they're so big, you know. And I think I've told you, Greg, that that uh, like you know when I've I've gone to like the local zoo here, they have a, a grizzly uh, exhibit at the zoo, and the way that they display the grizzlies, they they have a big pit, obviously, that separates them from from uh, us. But it's well done because it's kind of disguised by shrubs or whatever. So you get close to it, and you can see them stand up, and it it feels like. If they just wanted to make a run for it, they could just take you down, like no problem. 
and it, it makes me a little weak in the knees. And uh, I'll admit, like, I, there's there's a lot of brown bears. Like, this is a isn't Washington is one of the places where there's a lot of brown bears, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we, we we're gonna post a link on the website. Uh, we, there was a story in the Seattle Times which we're gonna talk about, and they said there's thirty thousand black bears in the state. Black black bears. Black, bears. black okay. slash brown, right? They're, well, no, I think they're they're different. They they're actually different. Okay. Uh, like, well, they say black bears here. Yeah. In the article, which are they're they're more common. I we we have them out east. In fact, uh, I, friends of mine. Uh, back in Connecticut have cited bears and so forth. But uh, the, uh, so anyways, go ahead. And, and there's, <laughs> so I might have, uh, I might have reason to be uh, a scared to go out at night <laughs> uh, in my Well, I think we're safe now. Uh, when I got home from Houston, uh, the next day I found this article that when I was gone, Seattle had a lot of excitement. Uh, a bear showed up in Magnolia of all places. Magnolia is like center of the city. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, they called out the, uh, the animal control, and they've been trying to hunt this bear. This was last weekend. This is uh, not uh, so not that, hunt to kill. We should yeah say. hunt yeah. hunt to get rid of yeah to move to the mountains. So a black bear was spotted in Magnolia, and uh, he he must have headed north. He was spotted in Ballard, which Ballard, is very yeah. close to where I live, and very close to where I live. Yeah. And then the next day he was. Bought it in Shoreline on, I think that was Monday. So I was thinking when I got home on Sunday night, that bear was probably in my neighborhood because he made it from Ballard to Shoreline in that time yeah. frame. Luckily, I didn't see him, but <laughs> um, so to me, it was just fascinating. And they were saying the bear probably, he's two years old and in black bear life, that's when mom tells you to take a hike. You're the out SMA of here. He's about 125 pounds. You're an is, adolescent. Yeah, 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 125 pounds, I think they said. And so he's an adolescent. Mom bear wants to go find a new daddy. So the baby bear's got to go. Yeah. And, you know, they're very territorial. So they said that uh, wherever that bear was probably got ran out by the other male bears, the older male bears. And the, the, the theory is he came down the railroad track because the railroad tracks come along the coast on Puget Sound from, you know, Way up in Skagit County, Whatcom, Snohomish, and King. So he all, probably, all very, all very rural. Yeah, kind of rural, more yeah. rural areas, and then probably just stayed on the railroad track and made it because the railroad track goes right by Magnolia. So he somehow ended up in Magnolia, <laughs> of all places, uh, kind of a nice neighborhood too. So uh, I just thought that was interesting. And eventually, I think after Tuesday, I didn't hear much about it. He yeah. he last sighted in Shoreline, and you know maybe after that he ended up toward Kenmore and then it starts getting rural after Kenmore and Bothell and maybe just uh you know hopefully ended up back in the woods yeah. in Monroe or something like that I don't I don't think Greg ever had anything to really worry about because he's as we've said before in our first episode he's got the vicious bunker guard dog it's <laughs> his golden retriever Midas and I could totally see Midas running out to protect Greg and playing with the bear yes. <laughs> so yeah Midas is fearless. <laughs> um, but since we're on the topic, I'll tell a quickly a story. My, I did have kind of an encounter with a bear. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in my former life, I was an environmental engineer. And as part of that life, they would send me to godforsaken areas of the country, uninhabited, basically uninhabited. So one time I was in Idaho, near Salmon, Idaho, very rural, very remote. I was working in a mine site. I think it was Copper Mine. And part of my duties included I had to go a few miles from the from the mine upstream downstream downstream <laughs> and cat get some uh water samples from the, the creek 
So, and, you know, I have a little map. It's X'd out where I should get my sample. So I'm heading down this very, very isolated rural road. It's more like a hiking trail. It's kind of a road. And as I'm heading to my site, I'm getting really close. I see a black bear cross in front of the road, cross in front of me. And I'm a city boy. I don't camp or hike too much. So that freaked the heck out of me. I <laughs> how, how big was it, Greg? Uh, he was probably about the age of this bear they're talking about in the story. Probably okay, about so 125 pounds. Okay. And it looked like just old enough where mom kicked him out. Right. And... And I had heard, because, you know, we're in a rural area, they said, if you encounter a bear, do this and that. And one of the things is, for black bears, they, they're they shy. So if you make a lot of noise, they're gone. So what I did is I cranked the journey that was on the local FM radio station. <laughs> that would make me run away, yeah, too. Yeah, uh, that'd make a lot of people run away, but um, <laughs> that's all I had. And uh, so I cranked the music, and then, you know, I drove, I think, about a quarter mile from where I saw the bear. And I just sat in the car with the music cranked for a couple minutes and I very cautiously got out of the car, went down to the creek, got my sample as I was nervous looking around the whole time. Oh, yeah. And I dashed when I got the sample. I dashed back to the truck and got the heck out of there. Yeah. And I had no bear encounter. Black bears, from what I understand, are actually they're shy and they don't want to attack yeah. you. The, the attacks usually happen if you happen upon a mom and her cubs yeah. and she feels threatened or cornered. The, the statistic that I've read is that uh, there are more uh uh, attacks uh, with black bears, but there's more fata- fatalities with the brown bears. Okay, and do browns include the grizzlies? Yes, right? yes. Right. Like so, uh, the Kodiak, the largest grizzly is, I think, like the Kodiak yeah. grizzly in Alaska. And they are more aggressive, more territorial. Uh, yeah, they, well, they shy away from people, but if they if you have an encounter with them, it's probably not going to end very well. They stand up for themselves, whereas oh, the yeah. black bear will kind of maybe yeah. back off a little bit. Yeah. So... And, and they're just more the black bears are more common uh, in near more populated areas yeah. too. That's probably yeah. why there's more so, encounters. So them. not that we're in any position to give advice since we don't hike much. But <laughs> if you are out hiking, I guess you make noise along the way, talk loudly. Yeah, uh, you know, touch the branches, make crackling sounds because the bears will hear that and go away. Yeah. And if you do encounter one, you're supposed to look big. Yeah, and I think be loud. Yeah, but th- you better double check this because we're not. <laughs> We're not even amateurs. We're, we're soon. We're going to have a show on the Discovery Channel, The Outdoors <laughs> with Greg and Andy. Andy's going to live with the the brown be- the black bears for a year. <laughs> Only if I'm in a tank. <laughs> so uh, that was a inter- that was kind of a fun, slightly spooky story. And you know, it's kind of you know, Seattle. We're not a huge city, but we're still you know, a couple million in the area. So it's kind of yeah. unusual to have a bear in yeah. town. You see coyotes once in a while when I had a paper route. I'd see coyotes down at Carkeek Park. Uh, you see a lot of raccoons. raccoons I raccoons here all, yeah. and possums and stuff. But black bear is a little more unusual. Oh, yeah. But it was kind of interesting. And uh, I guess, he, yeah, like we said, he probably made it to the woods because he hasn't been hitting the news. And, oh, what was his name, Andy? Oh, the oh, what did they call the, the, the urban fan- phantom? The urban phantom. I I love that too. The, that that was going to be my superhero name until they stole it. Yeah, I wonder did the Seattle Times come up with that name? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> they just want to be cool and come up with a cool <laughs> name for the, the bear. So we'll okay. let you know if there's any more news with the urban phantom. <laughs> and uh, you know we are unscathed, luckily. <laughs> and I think in the story they said you have the bear has a lot more to fear from people than people of the bear. So someone might freak out and shoot him or run him over. So, you know, let's be grateful. It appears the bear has made it back to the (laughs) wild and may he have a long and fruitful life (laughs) away from people. 
And let's see, we're going to do one more th- one more topic. This is kind of a funny topic, an ongoing bizarre topic. Uh, my friends will laugh heartily about this particular topic. Andy, you've had a few laughs on this. I topic. have, yes. Um, I don't know why. Well, I kind of know why. I live near uh, an abandoned car wash. It's supposed to become condos. I hope it does soon. And actually, some retail. But it's been abandoned for a couple years now. And even before it was abandoned, kind of an odd thing happens. Um, I, I, you know, I walk my dog in the neighborhood, and I kind of, I'm a little weird, self-admittedly. I, I pick up litter around <laughs> my neighborhood, my streets mainly. And so a couple years ago, these bags, and it's almost invariably a white garbage bag. 13, like a kitchen garbage like bag. Like a kitchen yeah. garbage bag, about 13 gallons. These bags show up, and I... You know, I said, oh, man, garbage. You know, I want to pick up the garbage on my street. I don't want to have garbage around. So I uh, picked up the bag, and, you know, there was stuff in there. It wasn't just, like, dirty diapers or something gross like that. <laughs> there was stuff, you know. You could hear it rattling. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take a look. I wonder what's in that bag. <laughs> how, how long ago? What was your first encounter with you know, the mystery bag? I didn't bags? really track it. I think a couple years. Okay. Maybe three years. <laughs> and so... I don't remember the first bag. So I, I got the bag, and I'm just prepared for the worst, the yeah. most disgusting, gross. But my curiosity got the best of me. So open the bag, and I think the first one was games or toys, kids' games or toys. Oh, like board games? Yeah, and I think um, I remember there was like a chemistry kit. There was kind of like a perfume kit, something for kids. I think that was the first one I found. So ever since then, I've been periodically finding these bags. <laughs> and it often has clothes. Uh, I found... You found jewelry? I found lots of jewelry, which usually just goes to the um, Goodwill. Um, I found I found antiques. I, I Probably one of the most interesting things I found. And th- so I found a bag, probably I'd average of six or eight bags a year for a couple of years. And Andy... <laughs> wonders about these i wonder about these i don't know why someone is deciding to drop these bags off near my house and they show up fairly regularly the last one i did actually jot this down per andy's suggestion about a month ago april 12th was the last time i found a bag but between about well actually before you go into that talk about some of the (laughs) some of the clothes that you found that you've incorporated (laughs) into your wardrobe okay my friends are rolling on the ground now um so, you know, I get lots of clothes. I mean, and they're usually women's. That's probably the most usual. Yeah. Women's clothes or really big clothes or very or children's clothes. But once in a while, <laughs> I'll find a shirt. And and another thing that's a little weird about this is I think it's possibly shoplifted stuff cuz the stuff I find will have tags on it. Like it's just Not been, all the time, but sometimes. Not all the time, but yeah, uh, about half the time there's tags on it. <laughs> so, about 2 years ago, I went through a bag, and there was this shirt from Banana Republic that fit me. It's long sleeve. It has kind of a green paisley thing. It actually, it was. It turned out to be one of the most stylish components of his <laughs> of his wardrobe. Yeah, so I'm using clothes off the streets. My friends saying I'm raiding the Goodwill and all this for clothes, but the thing that just really hurts my feelings and. It, the clothes I find randomly on the street are more stylistic than the clothes I buy. 
So that's a little embarrassing. So you know, if there's anyone out there who wants to volunteer to be my shopping consultant, you know, I'm 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 humbled, and I'm because I get compliments on the shirts I find. People never mention the things I spent half an hour trying to decide to buy, but the the, the stuff I find. Gets... And, and so let's uh, and before you get into the list, uh, let's let's also talk about the uh, you you needed an item. And mysteriously, <laughs> an item showed up in the, in one of these bags, right? Yeah, you know, um, this was kind of recent. Uh, a couple months ago, I was thinking, you know what? I think it'd be because I have a buzzing alarm that wakes me up. I was thinking, you know what? It'd be kind of cool to have a radio alarm. You know, and I wasn't at the point of ready to buy one. But lo and behold, a couple weeks later, I find a bag, and guess what's in there? A alarm. A human ra- head. Oh, no, wait. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm always cautious. To this day, I'm cautious yeah. opening those bags. Oh, yeah. So, you know, a human head hopefully doesn't happen, but could. Okay, so... So, uh, so uh, alarm magically appears after I decide <laughs> I want one. A radio alarm. So Okay, so uh, read the list so people get an idea of, like, the sort of stuff that might show up in, in, yeah, in okay, one of these bags. So on Sunday, April 12th, about 2 p.m., <laughs> I found a white kitchen garbage bag full of stuff out there. Right, I mean, this is right out in front of my house, basically. And there was two bags. Let's see. The first bag had a broken clay pot, Teen Vogue, March 2009, one large red towel, which was clean and I've washed and I'm keeping. <laughs> yeah, my friends are rolling right now. I found there was a 10 packages of 14 small foam rollers. I think that's like hair, roll, hair. hair rollers. I yeah. think so, yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, I found... <laughs> which he's got in his hair right now. <laughs> uh, I found a t-shirt, which uh, Andy characterizes as urban female kind of t-shirt style. And it was a Victoria's Secret nighty top, which I have not used contrary to what my friends <laughs> insist on believing. The Victoria stuff goes <laughs> right to the, the services for the blind. You, yeah. you give to those guys yeah, too, yeah. right, Andy? And the other bag, this was kind of interesting. There was a pair of keys to a Jaguar. Jaguar. <laughs> Jaguar. My, my British boss Jaguar. always said Jaguar. So. Jaguar. Jaguar car. So, unfortunately, a Jaguar car was not there, but the keys were. Dang it. And this is a long list. I'm not going to go through all of it. There was, uh, uh, what was there? There was a dime, my first money find. <laughs> a skull and bones, a, a little, what do you call those? A necklace thing. Oh, uh, uh, skull and crossbones? Yeah, skull and crossbones. Yeah, whatever. Uh, There was a red silk tie that I also kept. It was a very nice tie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What else? Oh, there was actually the first evidence of a person with this latest find. (laughs) Be careful how you say that. That sounds like uh, part of a person. Well, not not a body part, Uh, but there was a photograph of a very cute young, uh, looked like a Hispanic or, or part black young girl. Was, so was it in a frame or was it no, just No, it was a all torn up. Oh, weird. Okay. And um, so anyway, that's kind of an example of the weird stuff I find. So, you know, uh, <laughs> if if I were like Stephen King writing a story about this, I would I would say that uh, Greg is slowly absorbing somebody else's life. <laughs> but uh, but the thing the thing that's really funny about it is I, I remember one time you told me you, you left to go on a walk with your dog and you walked by there. And then you came back about like what, like a half an hour later, and there was one of those bags. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so the other thing too is I've been encouraging Greg 
to set up a little surveillance camera. And I, I got this kind of uh, used, uh, uh, from where I work, I got this used uh, uh, VCR that's meant for surveillance cameras. It, it takes a picture like every few seconds. And, and I've, I've offered this to Greg. And for some reason, he's resistant to it. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm resistant. <laughs> I just haven't gone. Come on, I'm trying to make this a more dramatic story. <laughs> I think that Greg is just, he loves the mystery of this, and he doesn't want it solved. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm oh, going to still try to convince him to one set more this thing, up. This, I think it was this latest find. I found, and I can't use this one, but I found a leather jacket. Oh, that's right. A yeah, female, a lady's Leather jacket. It appears to be in very good shape. I inspected it closely, and it's uh, Kenneth Cole, which I think is a decent brand. Yeah, I think so. So I have a friend of mine I'm offering this to, and I need to uh, get it to her so she can see if it's her style or not. But it's a nice leather jacket worth, I'd say, at least 150 bucks. Yeah, yeah. And I've also found just kind of uh, an old R-Gang. This was some time ago, about a year ago. Old R-Gang picture, kind of a fan book for kids. And so we're talking the 30s. We're talking yeah. early 30s yeah. on this one. Probably not worth much, but it's fascinating. It's so, it's in really good shape. It's pristine it's, shape. It's like a weird mix from what you've told me over the few years that this has happened. Like it's kind of a strange mix of uh sometimes old stuff that looks you know like it's been in somebody's house or whatever. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. And and sometimes new yeah, like brand shoplifted. new stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's I weird. think some I, of it is shoplifted. I mean, I can't yeah. I can't explain it. Who goes by stuff Leaves the tag on and throws it in a garbage yeah, bag. I don't know. Somewhere. Or, but why would if you shoplifted it, like why would you also put it in a bag? And yeah, throw it good on point. The, yeah. Good point. So, anyways, uh, so we're gonna. I guess we're gonna. We want to end the show on this little mystery. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and I think you know. So I think people should write in and encourage Greg. Well, maybe vote on it if you'd prefer to keep it a mystery and just keep hearing about it. Yeah. Uh, that means I have to figure out how to put up a poll now, Andy. Oh, no. It's, it'd be easy. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. All right. You do it. <laughs> okay. No, no. It's easy. There's polls out there. So maybe we'll put a little, our first poll on raincitybunker.com. <laughs> and I know uh, we're very sad. No one's commented on our blog yet. Yeah, come so, on. You know, just for a favor, you know, say, hey, that was cool, or you guys did all, whatever. We, we take criticism. Yeah, you know, actually, I've I've had a couple friends, uh, uh, one friend in particular who's, who's had some creative uh, – Creative criticism, which is great, you know, on like what we should do on the website. And oh, and a couple other things. We bought a new microphone, so hopefully yes. I sound better and the P's aren't popping too yeah. much, hopefully. Yeah. And uh, just want to give kudos to Andy. He jerry-rigged because uh, the new microphone did not have a stand. <laughs> so Andy is the acting engineer on this uh, show, and he helped me jerry-rig uh, a very useful uh, mic stand. So my, inner, my inner MacGyver. <laughs> so... Uh, so anyways, you want to do the little closing, Greg? You did the intro? Oh, we're closing. Yes. Okay, so we're going to come in a little under an hour, which is good. Yeah, and, you know, if there's feedback on the length of the shows, you know, that would be cool too. But uh, no oh, one really complained about the hour. We've oh, and we, we do have more uh, uh, interviews planned. It's just been a very busy time of year, and, and people are pretty busy. But uh, we got some. I think we got some interesting yeah. things lined up. Yeah, and uh, we have another possible author. Yeah. Uh, Andy mentioned the geneticists. And we may, I'm going to pursue this, we may even score a little coup for a minor celebrity. So we'll see how that goes. We're going to do our best. And uh, we have a lot of interesting family and friends, so that makes it kind of easy to come up with ideas for us. But, uh, yeah, we love doing interviews. We're kind of disappointed we didn't, weren't able to finagle an interview for this one. Hopefully uh, we kept your interest. And uh, so this is episode four. 
And sorry it's been a month or so since our last podcast. Hopefully things get back to normal. You people want everything from us. <laughs> it's fun doing the show. I, I love doing it. I think Andy does too. So yeah, I, if we can do it every two weeks, that'd be great. But it's been a month, so it doesn't always work out as you expect. But just want to, again, thank people that are listening. And it amazes me. Even though these are friends and family listening, it's very humbling and amazing that people find us the least bit interesting. So, And, you know, please give us feedback and topics. We, if you want to hear a topic, you know, we're open to topics. So and that might be kind of fun for you to say, hey, Andy and Greg, do this topic I love. And, and you know, I'm, we have a broad range of topics, so most likely it will fall within the topics we're willing to cover. So I guess that's it. Episode four is in the can. Sounds like it. And we're going to do episode five, hopefully in two weeks, maybe three weeks, but uh, hopefully soon. So yeah. thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Yeah. <laughs>